1: morning my name is Pam and I will be your conference operator today. At this time I'd like to welcome everyone to the Ritchie Brothers Auctioneers 4th quarter conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question please press star followed by two. Thank you. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Mr. Samir Rathod, Vice President of Investor Relations and Market Intelligence, to open the conference call. Mr. Rathod, you may begin your conference.
2: Hello and good morning, and thank you for joining us on today's call to discuss our fourth quarter 2021 results. Joining me today are Ann Fandosi, our Chief Executive Officer, Sharon Griscoll, our Chief Financial Officer, as well as other members of the management team who will be available for the Q&A portion of this call. The following discussion will include forward-looking statements, comments that are not a statement of fact, including projections of future earnings, revenue, gross transaction value, and other items are considered forward-looking that involves risks and uncertainties. The risks and uncertainties that could cause our actual operating results to differ significantly from our forward-looking statements are detailed in our SEC and Canadian securities filings available on our investor relations website at investor.richeygrose.com. We encourage you to review our earnings release and Form 10-K, which are available on our website as well as EDGAR and CEDAR. On this call, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. For the identification of non-GAAP financial measures, the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures, and a reconciliation between the two, see our earnings release and Form 10-K. Presentation slides accompany our commentary today. These slides can be viewed through our live or recorded webcast or downloaded from our website. All figures discussed on today's calls are U.S. dollars, unless otherwise indicated. I will now turn the call over to Ann Fandozi. Thank you, Samir,
3: and good morning to everyone joining our call today. As we all know, 2021 was another unprecedented year due to the direct and indirect impacts of COVID-19 affecting our employees, our customers, and our trusted partners. I would like to start the call once again by thanking our remarkable employees who continue to manage through this environment to deliver for our customers day in and day out. For the full year, we drove solid results, both strategically and operationally. Despite an unprecedented tight supply environment, we grew GTV 2% for the year and services revenue by 5%. With services revenue growth outpacing GTV growth consistent with our evergreen model commitments. At the same time, we continued our transformational journey to becoming a trusted global marketplace for insights, services, and transaction solutions through organic investments and key acquisitions, which accelerate our pace in achieving our ultimate vision. As we gained confidence through our test and learn approach, we continue to invest in key initiatives like satellite yards and go-to-market coverage models. These investments naturally come with a cost, and despite the top-line pressures due to the tight supply environment, in 2021, we grew non-GAAP-adjusted operating income 3% for the full year. Our omni-channel platform is delivering strong outcomes for our customers with bids per lot and used equipment pricing remaining very strong in the fourth quarter. Recall, we went completely online at the start of the pandemic. However, something we have heard our customers consistently tell us throughout the pandemic has been that they miss the social connection of a live event. To that end, we are excited to welcome back customers next week to our flagship Orlando event. We, of course, will remain diligent and vigilant with our COVID protocols and masking, That said, Orlando will be an amazing way to celebrate our customers and deepen our longstanding relationships. Turning to our M&A of the past year, I am pleased to note that Rouse continues to perform well and is driving benefits for the broader Ritchie Brothers ecosystem. I also wanna give everyone an update on Euro Auctions. The CMA review process is ongoing and on track and we are using this time to put detailed integration plans in place to allow us to begin executing on our vision immediately after close. We are also very pleased that we decided to complete our Euro Auction debt offering in the fourth quarter in advance of close, but also in advance of some of the unfavorable moves we are now seeing in interest rates and in spreads. After seeing pretty incredible KPIs, in our early satellite yard tests, specifically in attracting new customers with a much lower cost to serve model, we continue to scale that initiative with 23 local satellite yards having come online by the end of the fourth quarter globally. Clearly investments such as this are made ahead of their corresponding revenue and our confidence cements each day that local satellite yards are a key component of our Organic growth plans moving forward. Moving to our inventory management system, we continue to make strong progress with 89% growth sequentially compared to last quarter in the cumulative number of organizations that have activated on the platform. The KPI we are focused on is the number of organizations. So as we build out our marketplace functionality, we are able to have scaled quickly. To that end we are migrating our entire transactional workflow into IMS. Our go-to-market strategy is that if you want to transact with Richie Brothers, you have to use IMS. This is an excellent way to get customers into our ecosystem to begin interacting with our various services. As we work towards a modern technology architecture needed to enable our marketplace at scale, we are focusing on driving organic growth from the portfolio of services that Ritchie Brothers offers to our customers today. A great example here is Ritchie Brothers Financial Services. You have heard Sharon talk about the investment in headcount we have made over the last couple of quarters and we are now seeing that model hit its stride with revenue growing 61% in the fourth quarter and 46% for the full year, an outstanding result. What is most exciting here is that we are driving this growth even before realizing the full vision of a modern architecture-enabled marketplace, giving us even more confidence of what the service's revenue growth will look like at scale. Earlier this week, we put out a press release regarding our partnership with ThoughtWorks. I am very excited about what we are going to be able to achieve together. ThoughtWorks has helped several other large global companies do exactly what we are trying to do in terms of a modern architecture. This partnership is about accelerating our transformation and ThoughtWorks bringing their expertise to help build the foundational pieces of modern architecture with us. After Sharon discusses our financials, I will talk about our strategic pillars and outlook, and then we will move to Q&A. And now... Over to Sharon. Thank you, Anne. And let me
4: add my welcome to everyone on the call this morning. In the fourth quarter, GTV increased one percent with no notable impacts from foreign exchange or auction ships. We continue to see robust increases in mix-adjusted prices of equipment, offset by lower lot volumes and negative mix. We see this level of GTV as a strong result given the extremely tight supply environment due to the low used equipment levels and continued supply chain challenges impacting all new equipment production. So we are pleased with this performance, as historically these tight supply conditions have resulted in GTV declines on a year-on-year basis. Total reported revenue declined 6% compared to last year with total service revenue increasing 6%. Total service revenue continues to exceed total GTV growth, giving us continued confidence in our new Evergreen model. Our other services segment drove strength in our total services revenue, increasing 32% in the quarter. I am proud to note that the growth plan that we had implemented at RBFS continues to bear fruit as you heard Ann mention, with revenue increasing 61% in the fourth quarter. Other services revenue also benefited from the partial quarter contribution of Smart Equip and a full quarter of contribution of Rouse compared to last year's partial quarter contribution. That said, the lower unit volumes and mix are translating into lower ancillary service revenues. Our non-GAAP adjusted operating income declined 7% compared to the fourth quarter in 2020 as we continue to invest in our growth initiatives and implement our transformation to a global marketplace. As Ann noted, for the full year, non-GAAP adjusted income did increase 3%. Moving to auction and marketplaces, a and service revenue increased 1%, and A&M service revenue as a percentage of total GTV came in at a robust 13.6% for the quarter. As we have noted in the past, inventory sales tend to be lumpy and driven by consigner preferences. And in the fourth quarter, inventory sales declined 24%, driven by weakness in the U.S. and Canada, partially offset by strength in our international region and our government sector. Recall that Canada benefited from a very large inventory dispersal in the fourth quarter of last year, which we are now cycling over. Inventory returns came in at 10%, which is up about 50 basis points compared to 2020. Overall, we are very pleased with our revenue rate performance as both profit on inventory sales and service revenues improved versus prior year. Cost of service Plus SGNA was up thirteen percent, with total SGNA increasing 18% compared to last year. I want to unpack total SGNA here to give everyone a better sense of the moving pieces. It is important to note that SGNA includes about $3 million in one-time non-recurring fees associated with the ongoing evaluation of M&A opportunities, SOX remediation fees and other one-time advisory fees, as referenced in our 8K non-GAAP disclosures. The acquired businesses of Rouse and SmartEquip added approximately $5 million of incremental SG&A costs in the fourth quarter. Once you look at SG&A excluding these highlighted items, our core SG&A increased by slightly less than 11%. This increase was primarily driven by investments to fuel our key growth and strategic initiatives. As Anne referenced, we have expanded the number of our satellite yards, established a U.S.-based inside sales team, continued to grow our team in Ritchie Brothers Financial Services, initiated our IT transformation to a global marketplace, and supported new product launches such as RitchieList. We also saw a pickup in the fourth quarter in travel expenses as COVID restrictions began to ease, in line with how we have guided for several quarters. We want our sales force to be out on the road, cultivating new and nurturing existing relationships. In addition, we have also made some incremental investments to strengthen our financial control environment. To that end, I am very happy to note that we have effectively remediated material weaknesses that had been identified as part of our 2020 year end procedures. A special thank you to the entire finance team. I could not be more pleased. To sum up our sg section, the increases you are seeing are prudent investments that unlock the future growth and we expect to begin seeing returns on these investments within 2022. I would like to note that we expect our SG&A in the first quarter of 2022, ex share-based payments, one-time non-recurring charges, and exclusive of any impact of euro auctions to be approximately $125 to $130 million. Our cash flow remains very robust with trailing 12-month operating free cash flow of $276 million which is 128% of our non-GAAP adjusted net income. At the end of the quarter, our adjusted net debt increased as we drew on our revolving credit facility in connection with the acquisition of SmartEquip. I also want to note that the Euro Auction Bonds are now held in escrow. We are paying interest on them before the deal closes, and the December 21st to December 31st period resulted in an incremental 1.3 million in interest expense in the fourth quarter. That said, I'm sure you are all aware of how the spreads are moving, and we are very happy with going to market when we did and completing the offering last year. For modeling purposes, we expect our run rate interest expense to be approximately $24 million per quarter starting the first quarter of 2022. And with that, I conclude my financial discussion and hand it back now over to Anne.
3: Thank you, Sharon. And while we continue to focus on driving growth in an unprecedented tight supply environment, we have also made tremendous progress in our transformation to a global trusted marketplace for insights, services, and transaction solutions. This slide highlights several accomplishments we have made against our strategic pillars in the past year. We dramatically improved the customer experience with the launch of new digital products like List, and fundamentally improved the functionality of our digital experience. We also acquired SmartEquip to enable us to facilitate parts and service transactions on behalf of our dealer and OEM partners. We also work hard to ensure our employees have the best experience, and I am happy to say our engagement efforts are resulting in lower turnover compared to others. Of particular note are our efforts in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which have resulted in three new employee resource groups forming, which we proudly support as an organization. You just heard about our modern architecture partner, but we are taking steps beyond that such as moving Iron Planet to the cloud to enable more stable and scalable experience for our customers. We integrated Rouse this past year and are seeing fantastic growth in our IMS business as more and more organizations are activating. We announced the acquisition of Euro Auctions and continue to scale our local satellite yard and sales coverage model strategies. What should be clear to everyone is that we are sprinting towards our strategic vision of becoming the trusted global marketplace for insight services and transaction solutions for commercial assets and making the prudent investments needed to get there and unlock TAM for our shareholders. Now, turning to current trends and outlook, there is no change in our view here. As you know, the environment remains very tight for equipment supply, due to low inventory levels and continued headwinds to OEM production due to supply chain issues. We see this as a point in time event and consider it outside of our control. We know the equipment is there, it is aging, and this pent up supply will need disposition services as the supply chain starts to thaw. That said, we are not sitting idly by. We are focused on growing in a constrained environment by focusing on what we can control in terms of investing in growth initiatives and executing in our transformation to marketplace and structurally improving the business to deliver on our strategy of becoming the global trusted marketplace for insights, services, and transaction solutions. With that, operator, please open the line for questions.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touch-tone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be pulled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
6: Thanks very much, and good morning. I was hoping you could comment on organic service revenue growth in the fourth quarter um, and just whether you think that's a reasonable run rate to think about for the base business in 2022.
3: Hi, Sherilyn and it's Anne. uh Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, we are we are super proud, right? So we came in with uh, service revenue growth of five percent for the year, six percent for the quarter, uh, and uh, we expect that to continue. And as we uh, discussed in our evergreen model, the gap between GTV growth and service revenue growth to widen over time um, as we grow service revenue. Uh, unrelated to the underlying GTV. And uh, just uh, as a context, right, you guys have heard me now, I can't believe it, but for two years talk about how we look at the world as inside and uh, in our control and out of our control, right? Global pandemic, a supply chain that no one's ever seen, uh, out of our control. Uh, Even though we know it is a point in time, the equipment continues to age and the OEMs will certainly catch up. Uh, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Uh, so for us, uh, being able to drive the strategic initiatives, which are in our control, uh, both in uh, organic growth and M&A, to kind of achieve that vision so when the supply chain opens up, we can disproportionately benefit. Uh, and we're already seeing signs of that, exactly as you noted, Sherilyn, with the 5% for the year and 6% in the quarter of the services revenue growth. So super proud and yes, expected to continue.
6: Right, but what was the organic component of that 5% growth for the year and 6% in the quarter?
3: 7%, even higher.
6: Okay, maybe we'll have to take that offline to build it up um, because it looked like a lot of it in Q4 at least was inorganic.
3: Yeah, no, Samir can take it offline and can walk you through the 7% number, absolutely. And so 7% is for the year, not for the quarter, just to be clear? That's correct. I don't know if we've peeled it down, but we can certainly follow up. Okay. Um, and then are you able to quantify the
6: extent to which the IMS contributed to growth at RBFS in Q4 and sort of break that down in terms of how the contribution of the IMS to the growth would compare to the impact of expanding into escrow services on private treaty deals? Uh,
3: Yeah. So we, candidly, Sherilyn, we don't look at it that way. So we, because IMS casts a very uh, long shadow. So think about that's really the gateway, right? And I think as you heard in my prepared remarks, uh, more and more, that is the gateway to all of Ritchie Brothers. So the attribution for any particular service or the underlying GTE just becomes kind of a math exercise. Uh, you know, we we as we when we started the conversation about transforming to a marketplace, we have been clear the you know that that IMS pillar is the gateway. And what you're seeing is uh, a few things. One. Uh, we're moving fast and strong into that gateway. So you see the underlying um, metrics moving up. The second thing that you're seeing is that we are moving uh, all, you know, more and more of everything we offer for Ritchie Brothers. You have to come into the IMS uh, to partake in. And then, you know, we highlighted the Ritchie Brothers financial services as an example. Uh, you know, not so much of IMS, because again, that's the gateway, but an example of our ability. Growing stronger each day uh, to power services uh, separate and apart from the underlying GTV. Again, it's always going to be attached to the GTV, so that's the you know kind of the um, the give me. And as we're going to add more and more services to attach, uh, what what's fascinating for us to watch and to drive is separating that to really unlock that services revenue growth at a significantly higher pace. And. So, GTV growing, uh, you know, 1% in the quarter, but services revenue growing 6 starts giving an indication for the power of that.
6: Okay, I'm just, I'm struggling, because it would be nice to understand what the IMS contributed in isolation, because it seems like there's a couple of other pretty big moving pieces for RBFS, like one would be substantially higher used equipment prices year over year, um, and the other would seem to be, because it's mentioned in the MDNA, the expansion into escrow services.
3: Correct. So we, we are happy to. Maybe we'll take it offline. I think it's less about the attribution to IMS and more about kind of the pieces as RBFS continues to, I'm going to say, unbundle uh, the various. Um, uh, uh, Services that are under the RBFS umbrella, so it's not that they haven't been offered before uh, But we're unbundling them dipping into some new ones. So uh, maybe we'll take that offline to uh, really break down the RBFS story
6: Okay, I'll pass it on to someone else. Thank you. Thank you
1: Your next question comes from Gary Prestopino with Barrington research, please go ahead.
7: Hey, good morning, Ann and Sharon. Hey, um, Ann, a couple of questions here. You know, as as you look at what's going on with the supply used equipment and all, um, obviously a big shortage, but what would be some of the leading indicators that you all are focusing on that would give us some indication that this is going to start alleviating? Like, you know, in the car market, we're seeing Obviously, uh, year over year, some increases in new car sales. We're also seeing increases in inventory on on dealer lots. So could you help us with that a little bit?
3: Yeah, Gary, hello, and uh, thank you. Yeah, we're watching. (laughs) Clearly, it's out of our control, but we're watching it avidly. So I think uh, there are some parallels uh, to new cars. There is also some, um, uh, you know, unique to us uh, metrics we look at. So, for example, new equipment sales. Obviously, uh, we we are watching that. We also watch metrics around backlogs uh, of orders, and those are less kind of widely available, but more. You know, as we talk to our dealer partners, we try to understand kind of, you know, their orders uh, versus, uh, you know, their demand versus the supply that the OEMs are able to drive. Another interesting measure for us is the utilization uh, rates, uh, you know, in, in the rental segment. So, you know, as those are at historic highs, we have seen those plateau, we're seeing them start coming down slightly. Uh, but these are some of the kind of early uh, indications that we are watching, um, you know, to know when the tides turn. And I think what, you know, the essence of your question and, and exactly where we're at is you know they will turn. It's a matter of when, right? OEMs make money by, you know, shipping products to customers. Uh, if there's a higher level of supply, uh, of demand than the supply can um, can meet, uh, they will figure it out. It's a matter of when. And um uh, Unlike other industries where, if you quote, "miss a sale today, you don't get to make it up tomorrow. The beauty of our industry is the equipment continues to age, it's sitting out there. It will need to turn, uh, and uh, when it does, we will be there, uh, which is which is actually why we've continued to invest in those underlying pieces. Uh, they're bearing fruit today, I think, as Sharon said in her prepared remarks. When we faced environments like this before, we've actually moved negative in GTV. Uh, so the fact that we continue to push forward and continue to push forward in services, uh, you know, is giving us a lot of confidence that the pieces we're putting in place are the right pieces. Now it's just a matter of how do they unlock even greater potential uh, when the tides turn in the broader ecosystem. Okay. And then just a quick
7: one on your IMS system, just as you were discussing it, it looks like it kind of gives it's a gateway that kind of gives you a holistic view into all of what, you know, you offer at Ritchie and to do transactions, et cetera. But you did mention that the goal is to get all organizations on this so they can transact with Ritchie Brothers. My, my question would be, does it cost an organization to get on? And, and you know, what happens two, two, three years down the road if an organization says, I don't want to get on this system? Or is that just uh, uh, not, not something you're anticipating?
3: Yeah, Gary, so I think uh why don't as as always I like to think in threes, so let's just answer the question kind of three different ways. So the the mm-hmm. first answer is uh it depends on which IMS uh we're talking about. So the IMS business that we launched, which is really aimed at the long tail and the regional business, it is free. Uh and uh we can offer it free because it's very minimum work. Uh, in order to load, our folks stand at the ready to support to do that. Uh, you know, it's it's really kind of a minimum effort for the customers, and it's giving a lot of benefit to them, a lot of benefit to us. We have Thank an enterprise product, enterprise, and that's for large corporate customers that really want, you know, uh, to dig into all of the capabilities. Uh, you know, and and that is a fee uh, for that product. So number two. And then number three, we will always have an ability to kind of, much like we're, um, you know, uh, unbundling, if you will, the various services within within, uh, Ritchie Brothers, you can always opt into the services. So again, imagine a marketplace where, you know, you can opt into one service at a time the way you've always historically been able to do, uh, but we will always encourage you because it's free, because it's easy to kind of opt into IMS. Uh, And if it's one service at a time, you know, no problem. If you want to use it more holistically, there is a fee, uh, even today. Uh, But uh, so, you know, I think our true north is we're going to be here in whatever way our customers want to do business with us. Uh, IMS just makes it infinitely easier.
8: Okay. Thank you.
6: Thank you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you do have any questions, please press star 1. Your next question comes from Michael Vaniger with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Michael, you may be on mute.
8: Sorry, can you hear me now?
9: Thank you. Yes, I uh, can. Great. So the higher SG&A, the 125 to 130, that, that's up 11 to 16 million just sequentially what is that being spent on exactly and historically q1's not the high point for the year on sgna so should we be thinking that that number creeps up through the year especially when we bring euro auctions onto the platform
3: yeah michael so let me start and then i'm gonna uh and then i'm gonna turn it over to sharon so you know um Think about the things that drove the increased SGNA are the things that uh, are kind of our investments in the satellite yards, the inside sales team. So I think the historic perspective of SGNA in Q1 had more to do with kind of that cost to serve metric. Uh, that was actually down one percent in Q1. So you're exactly right. I mean in Q4 and you know um, uh, those are kind of the historic measures. The sg we're talking about is the non-cost-to-serve SG&A, um, and uh, those are largely comprised with the investments that we're making in the yards, in the, in the teams, in RBFS, in the IT transformation. Uh, so uh, that's kind of what's in the number that that we've signaled um, moving forward. So let me stop here just to kind of – I wanted to put it out there that the cost-to-serve was more the historic – you know comprised a bigger percentage of the total and now it's a lot of the investments we're making that you know we we talk about them as in the future but candidly many are already uh, reaping rewards uh, this isn't future like you know you know four year you know these kinds of things you know satellite yards are reaping rewards now inside sales team it's just not to the same degree uh, as they will when the kind of broader ecosystem opens up and the, there's a uh, plentiful equipment on which to offer those services. So let me stop there and then turn it over to Sharon to talk a little bit about uh, how to understand the 125 to 130. Yeah,
4: great, Anne, and then, uh, thanks, Michael, for the question. Um, you know, I think certainly we've moved quite quickly on a lot of these growth strategies, so that's why we felt it was important to give some Q1 perspective You know, clearly you end up with smart equip in there for the entire quarter. um, So that would be an unusual number uh, compared to prior Q1 to Q4 trends. Um, So just wanted to call that out. Equally, I think it's important to recognize um, our Orlando event is back to live. And so we are seeing um, some increased costs that we're expecting as we put on that live event. Um, More from, as Annette said, our customers have missed that social interaction. Uh, So really uh, reflecting the fact that um, we're, again, engaging with our customers on site. Clearly, um, some of the learnings that we had on cost of services won't come back. But things like travel, things like, um, you know, fuller support to service uh, and entertainment type costs uh, will be in that number. Uh, and then, as Ann said, the um, satellite yard expansion, um, continued growth in RBFS, those are the other growth initiatives that are continuing to fuel that Q1 outlook.
9: Okay, and then just to follow up on the Q1 outlook, obviously, I, I know we're diverging from GTV to more the service revenue growth, but you do have a tough comp in, in, in the first quarter with this plus 11 it's not just Orlando. I, can you just remind us, Sharon, any any shifts in the auction calendar that we should be aware of? I think you might have mentioned before some, some one time, just to, to, just so we're a little bit aware of, of, of what we're thinking for the
8: first quarter there.
4: Yeah, so um, I'll go back to last year. And so what was driving that 11% growth was we were really measuring off a 20 base that was um, really challenged predominantly because of international um, lack of movement with the onset of COVID in 2020. So I think the year-over-year year growth, um, you know, that 11% is more a reflection of a soft 20 as opposed to a strong uh, 2021. Um, you know, certainly the calendar shifts are always changing, but, you know, it's there's nothing um, unique to call out. And, you know, we are still expecting, um, you know, we're seeing really good, um, you know, pricing performance continue. Uh, so, you know, clearly the service revenue um, basically leverages off of that. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, I, I would look at that 11% base more as a reflection of lack of strength in 2020 as opposed to um, a strong 21 that we're lapping over.
8: Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Brian Fast with Raymond James. Please go ahead.
2: Thanks. Good morning. Um, Can we just go back to the Rouse acquisition? I guess now that you've had the business for over a year, uh, could you just provide some comments if it has performed within expectations and then maybe what sort of KPIs you look at when measuring the performance?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. What, what a year it's been. So we, the way we look at Rouse, um, and first of all, hello, thank you for joining us. Uh, the way we look at Rouse is, and the way we look at any acquisition really has uh, two different lenses that we look through. The first is their underlying performance. And then the second is uh, the impact on the broader Ritchie Brothers ecosystem, because every acquisition that we make has two things in common. One We love the underlying business. Uh, We love the the teams that are running it, and we expect it to perform. And then on the other side, uh, the kind of the strategic rationale of the acquisition is always the impact to the broader Ritchie Brothers uh, ecosystem. So in terms of the first lens, that continues, right? So uh, we are very pleased with the Rouse team, uh, the management team, uh, and and the entire team has stayed intact, continues to run it, continues to have uh, double-digit growth. We're we're very happy uh with how the Rouse business is going. They're unlocking new geographies uh um you know, on their own and with the help of um Richie Brothers so kind of is uh intact and going very well, uh and uh the integration points are firmly in place. And then on the broader uh ecosystem play, uh, you know that's a journey, and we kind of mapped it out even before we made the acquisition. And the first uh, elements of that that really have been paying uh, dividends is uh, in our Marketplace E product. So uh, just as a reminder for everybody on the call, we have obviously our uh, you know, unreserved auctions uh, with uh, Richie Brothers and Iron Planet, and then Marketplace E is a reserved marketplace. And they are a key KPI uh, we call kill rate. And let me just take a minute to explain. Uh, basically, uh, sellers can list a product for whatever they want, uh, you know, $1 trillion. And uh, But the true uh, value of a marketplace is not on what's listed on that product. We actually have launched a listing service for that. Um, but what actually transacts. And the KPI there um, is the kill rate. And the kill rates have gone up Almost twofold, uh, because we have introduced the Rouse um, pricing model—the the same one that's offered to customers—you uh, know, fully uh, agnostic, fully—you know—through the Chinese walls, but basically as an advisory service for the MPE customers to say, "Look, you can price this thing whatever you want, but let us show you—you uh, know—what uh, what the bands of pricing really should be using a third-party data service route." Uh, and that has really increased uh, the kill rates through MPE, and and therefore the the growth rate. It's been uh, wonderful to watch, uh, and we have an entire um, uh, you know uh, staggered phasing of the various synergy plays that we always need with Rouse. One of the ones that I've mentioned in the past is, you know, our industry does not have a Kelly Blue Book like solution we are marching towards that as kind of in the in the future evolution of uh, the Rouse offering. So very pleased, highly integrated, uh, and, um, you know, the team continues to deliver.
8: Okay,
2: thanks. I appreciate the color. That's it for me.
1: Your next question is a follow-up from Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
6: Thank you. Um, was just wondering if you have a revised expectation on when the euro auctions deal will close you know just in terms of any questions that might be coming back from the regulator
3: on their review yeah Sherilyn. so uh and again so uh yeah we this is one obviously we're we're staying very very much on top of uh there's an open you know we're following the normal process That's where we're at. The questions that are coming forward are very straightforward. We actually had a call with the CMA earlier this week to answer the questions they have. Uh, So, you know, these things are, uh, you know, back to the in our control and out of our control. Uh, You know, they follow their process. We are well aligned within it and kind of following it lockstep. Uh, Obviously, you know, we're bullish about, um, you know, the Euro auction acquisition period. Uh, we wanted to get in front of it. That's why we did the debt offering to kind of get in front of the interest rates. Uh, but at this point, we're just kind of following through the process. The lines of communication are open, and we're kind of awaiting um, awaiting their steps.
6: So do, do you have a revised expectation on when the
3: deal might close? We don't, you know, these things are, you know, obviously our anticipation uh, is and was, uh, you know, kind of Q1, but largely these things are out of our control. So, you know, our debt is lined up. uh, We're ready to go. Uh, We're talking to the CMA, um, you know, open book on kind of how we're viewing it, and uh, we're kind of awaiting uh, their steps and their pacing.
6: Okay. Okay. And then um, one for Sharon, in terms of the share-based payments, um, which are now an important add-back, can you give us a sense of the base expense there and the sensitivity of the mark-to-market portion to a change in the stock price?
8: Uh, sure, Sherilyn. Um, really, the the
4: Fairly limited exposure to the change in the stock price um, because really the only mark-to-market, you know, DSUs are the director um, retainer grants. Um, So, you know, that's – and certainly there was um, not much uh, inside of the Q4 uh, relative to that. The other kind of changing element would be more, um, you know, measure of PSU achievements. Um, and those, you know, again, wouldn't have been sizable in uh, in Q4. Thank you for
1: the time. Your next question comes from Sabahat Khan with RBC. Please go ahead.
10: All right, great. Thanks and good morning. Um, just one question, I guess, on the fees. I just one, we think we saw some buyer fees being taken up into 2022 on your platforms. One, if you could just confirm if that's correct and maybe how broad-based or the magnitude of those price increases were. Sorry, buyer fee increases.
3: Yeah, hello. Uh, Anne here. Thank you for joining us. Yes, so it is correct. We have uh, taken uh, some buyer fees walking into 2022. Uh, Let me just state this. When when, uh, we first announced uh, some fee increase last year, we talked about the fact that this will be a normal course of how we go to market, Uh, you know, much like every other industry. I know it hasn't been normal course uh, for us, you know, historically, but much like most industries, look around the competitive landscape and understand, uh, you know, when there's, uh, you know, a pricing uh, opportunity or a pricing gap or, um, you know, and take appropriate measures. We have now instituted that as part of our normal process uh, to both review the competitive landscape, which we actually do on a monthly basis, Um, to have certain hurdles that are met when we actually take action. We saw an opportunity for that uh, and did it walking into 2022. Uh, And, uh, you know, it wasn't broad-based because that's not how opportunities are, uh, neither globally nor kind of across every uh, category. Uh, But uh, it was prudent and and we took it. I don't believe um, uh, that uh, we've... uh, kind of gone out with a quantification. I don't know, Sharon, if you want to say anything about the quantification, the magnitude of it.
4: Yeah, we um, haven't really um, ex- expressed anything on it. You know, again, I think this is more of a, a regular um, fee increase, you know, and in some in some ways it's... Um, necessary because of the inflation that we're seeing and as, um, you know, the same like item is now moving across the grids, um, you know, and then ratcheting down based on our fee tables. Um, It's just a normal course kind of repositioning. Um, So, but no, we have not quantified um, the magnitude. Okay,
8: great.
10: That makes sense. And then, um, I guess, just on the upcoming Orlando auction, I guess, you know, you commented that the supply situation isn't really much better into Q1, but just big picture, if you compare, you know, the mix of the equipment you have there, you know, the volume, just kind of how are you directionally feeling about it? Is it pretty much reflective of the environment or, you, you know, just with it being in person, has that maybe changed anything?
3: Yeah, how about we turn that one over to Jim Kessler, our President and Chief Operating Officer on all things Orlando. Jim?
9: Uh, Awesome. Thanks, Ann. And and I would say just from when you look at basic mix and lots, um, similar environment to last year, the great news is pricing um, we're seeing continue to be strong, so very excited. But when you kind of take a look at last year, um, mix similar um, number of lots, um, slightly up compared to last year. And then um, we're expecting to see strong pricing as we go. But the great thing is I think we do have excitement um, from our customers to be able to get together, which, as this happens, being able to have the sales team, our customers, and talking about the rest of the year and planning it out, I think we're going to see some real benefit um, of having that social interaction with our customer and what really happens um, the rest of the year and um, with those conversations.
10: Okay, great. And then this is just more of a logistics one. I think there's there's a bit of discussion earlier on the timing of the your auctions transaction. But, you know, assuming, I think CMA said they might come back with a decision by March 4th. From, I guess, your perspective, say it does come on that day, you know, is it a one-week, four-week process for you to actually logistically close a transaction? Assuming you get a decision on that day, just want to understand what, what more legwork there could be on your part after they decide.
3: Yeah. So I'm going to turn this over to Sharon. Let me just start. Um, there's kind of two things once we get the green light. Uh, and obviously, that's why we wanted to line up the financing. So that was that didn't end up being the long pole in the tent. And we weren't on, on our heels with interest rates moving up. So I, we're actually very happy that we made the decision we made. Um there's two things we're doing during the, uh, you know, during this period of time. One is obviously working with the CMA to make sure that, uh, you know, all questions are answered. The other is really sharpening our pencils for integration. Uh, you know, th- this, uh, you know, any any uh, transaction uh, lives and dies by how well the integration plans come together. Uh, you know, you just heard me answer the Rouse question. Those have come together very well. Uh, this is obviously of a bigger scale, so we have been really spending a lot of time on every nuance of integration planning, uh, both at the business level down to individual people and so on and so forth. So, uh, and our plans are literally like T zero, you know, T plus one day, T plus two days, T plus one week, that level of granularity. So, uh, you know, we have been very very busy during the interim period. But with that, Sharon, do you want to answer the question on how many days from green light to actual close?
4: Yeah, so I I think probably what's safe to say, if we do get clearance um, on that timeline that you mentioned, you know, we are positioned that we would be able to close before the end of the quarter. Um, You know, clearly financing is in place um you know we have um we have to move the money um so there's certainly administrative responsibilities that you, you have to do um but it is possible it could close um you know in that last week of March um you know if that is uh the if that is the result that we get
10: right, great, thanks very much for the caller.
1: Your next question is a follow up from Michael Feneiger with Bank of America. Please go ahead.
9: Yes, hey guys. Just uh, on on the Euro auctions, I, I know there's been a lot said. I know when it was announced in August, you know, you guys gave there was some there was a multiple. Um, we were giving some historicals. I believe it was going to be maybe 50 million of EBITDA to to think about as a contribution. Uh, it's supposed to be accretive. I'm just curious how you're seeing Europe right now. Obviously, things since August have gotten tighter. I think in the Q4 release, you guys flagged. Softer performance every year in in Europe. So I'm curious, has the accretion expectations changed a little bit as since the announcement of the deal and the supply constraints and what you might be seeing in Europe? Thank you.
3: Yeah, Michael, it's Sam. So let me take that question. Um, so uh, we're not seeing anything uniquely different about Europe than the rest of the globe where we operate, meaning same tightness in supply. Uh, but stronger pricing now here is the one thing to talk about when we think about the euro model euro auctions versus the Ritchie Brothers Europe model and this is uh, You know just like the Rouse conversation we had about, you know We're buying it because we love the underlying business, but we're also buying it for that second lens of, You know, what does it do for the broader Ritchie Brothers ecosystem? Euro auctions fundamentally has a very different go-to-market model where it's less about the mar- you know, Europe as the market to do business in and it's more about their sourcing model uh, and then kind of transacting it around the globe wherever the pricing is best. So the way that Ritchie Brothers historically has sourced uh, and specifically in Europe is typically for the market uh, uh, where the sale is about to happen, right? So we source uh, in market. Uh, that's not the way Euro Auctions goes to market, and we're fascinated by this model. They source, uh, you know, broader, and then they sell that much broader still. So, there's nothing unique. uh, There's nothing particularly dampened, um, and certainly their model opens up the globe in a way that, you know, is very different than our European business, and we're excited about it. Understood, and and I I could
9: have missed this. So, if you want to transact with Richie at any auction, do you have to subscribe to IMS and upload your your fleet? Can you just flesh this out for me? Because I understand that IMS is the gateway. It is the golden goose. It It is a huge part of where you guys are going in the future. I totally get that. So what is this change? Is it that anyone that does anything on Richie now has to upload? Would, would you get pushback from people saying this is going a little too far? I, I guess I'm trying to understand what The change is here with transacting with Reggie Brothers and now having to subscribe to IMS, if there is a big change at all.
3: Yeah, you got it. So yes and no. So I would say more internal than external at this point. So no, if you are a – so first of all, if you're a buyer, you buy the way that you buy today. And if you're a seller, you basically have two paths. You do it like you do today or through IMS. Uh, the okay. difference here is it's kind of a push-pull, right? We're explaining on those sales calls, and when you see the numbers going up, as they are very successfully, congratulations to uh, Carrie Taylor, our chief revenue officer, and her team, uh, kind of explaining to customers that if they are to walk in through IMS, there's a lot more benefit for them and no cost. Uh, but no, you, you we, there's no stick there. You do not have to. You can partake of Richie Brothers services um, in, the, in the way you always have been able to in the past
9: it.
8: Thank you.
1: There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed.
3: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, appreciate uh, everybody joining us. Appreciate the questions and uh, you know it is not lost on this team that Uh, You know, the environment is, uh, you know, causing us to grow slower than we would otherwise like to grow, but grow still. Uh, And so if you take anything uh, away from this call, it is that we are incredibly bullish on where we're headed. We're putting all of the pieces in place. Look, you know, we could make a decision that says, you know, wait for the environment to turn and then put the pieces in place. But candidly, these are, you know, we've tested and learned we know they're positive ROI. So, you know, if you wait, that just means we're gonna, it's going to be that much longer to, to earn the benefits of those investments. So uh, you see how bullish we are because we're continuing to put them forward. They're actually delivering results today, just not at the clip that they will deliver results, um, you know, once the backdrop of the environment opens up. But uh, we thank you for being on this journey with us. We're very excited about it. Uh, and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day.